Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. Taking it to the streets is all about advancing firefighter safety and operational integrity for the fire service through provocative insights and dynamic discussions dedicated to both the art and science of firefighting and the traditions of the fire service. The focus at Taking It to the Street continues to be straightforward, street-level talk with intelligent, stimulating, and provocative insights and dynamic discussion with interactive dialogue and, most importantly, listener participation. Just like around the kitchen table or in the day room over a cup of coffee at 0230 after a good run. And now, the latest edition of Taking It to the Streets with your host, Christopher Nall. Welcome to this edition of Buildings on Fire's Taking It to the Streets on your street, in your city, across the country, and around the world. I'm your host, Christopher Naum, and again, welcome to another exciting edition on fireengineering.com's blog talk radio and our program here on Buildings on Fire Taking to the Streets. A couple of things here before we get into our program. Just recently, um, it's been 45 years since the events of August 2nd, 1978, that surrounded the wall bombs fire occurred in the borough of Brooklyn in New York City that resulted in six firefighter line of duty deaths. And again, the 45th anniversary of that, it seems like only yesterday when we start talking about that, I can certainly remember very vividly the, uh, the events of that day. And then certainly over the course of the many months to follow, much of the information that was being published within the trade journals, information within various contexts predominantly within the uh, hard copy media standpoint. Again, this was well before the internet and the availability of, of much uh, of anything online. Um, quite a bit of information came about in that time frame, um, but again, it, it certainly provided significant lessons and learnings that resonate today, just as they did back in that time frame in the early years of both uh, 1978 and then certainly the subsequent years that, that followed. Uh, one of the things that we had the opportunity to do back in uh, 2018, had the opportunity to uh, uh, host a podcast here on fireengineering.com that was on the 40th anniversary of that particular uh, date. And actually it was episode 1860, which was uh, published on August 2nd, which was on the anniversary in 2018. That was on the 40th anniversary, and we had a number of uh, special guests that were on the show, including uh, Chief Vinnie Dunn, who provided some uh, tremendous insights on the events of that day and the surrounding issues and many, much of the lessons and learnings that came out of that particular event in the uh, months and then the years to follow. So um, as you are listening to this particular podcast, either live in the evening hours or um, subsequently, if you've downloaded the, uh, the uh, podcast and the webcast and are listening to this uh, at some future point, um, on the uh, date of August 24th, uh, 
we will have uh, published, we'll be publishing out live in the morning hours, a direct link to our uh, 2018 podcast. For those of you that may not have uh, had the opportunity to listen to that, but the uh, opportunity again to uh, delve back into the archives and uh, listen to the um, special remembrance, talking about the the event, talking about lessons and learnings, and much of what we continue to have uh, uh, challenging the having the challenging issues that affect us today, just as they were back in the day. When we talk about uh, wall bombs again, that occurred on August second of nineteen seventy eight. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention, uh, as we do in, with many of our programs, both our, our live uh, classes and as we do here within uh, the context of our, uh, of our webinar and podcast, um, the events surrounding the wall bombs fire in 1978, again, brought forward much of what transpired almost 10 years to the month from July of 1988. Um, when we take a look at the events of 1988 that occurred uh, 10 years after wall bombs, um, we also see the similarities of many of the events relative to construction and other particular items which surrounded the Hackensack Ford fire of July 1988, in which five firefighters lost their lives. But uh, quickly, I'll just go through a couple of uh, of uh, historical related events when we talk about truss construction, especially with heavy heavy timber construction of the bowstring type of uh, category. But a more recent, we take a look at the Appets Ford uh, Wisconsin uh, fire of uh, 2012, in which one firefighter lost his life. Chicago in 2010, December of 2010, in which two Chicago firefighters lost their lives again in a bowstring type constructed roof system. Los Angeles City, LA City, 1988. Again, we had uh, the loss of life of a firefighter, actually a, of a captain at that point in time, which again was um, a result of a large scale fire that occurred in a uh, uh, bowstring truss constructed occupancy. Um, Actually, I made, I, uh, I should uh, rephrase that. So the um, Los Angeles City was 1998. Uh, in Illinois, again, another in Chicago, 1985, triple on a duty death. And again, a bowstring trust construction, 1978, was the uh, wall bombs fire in Brooklyn, which resulted in the six line of duty deaths. Almost 10 years prior to that in Wichita, Kansas, four line of duty deaths in a uh, uh, truss constructed uh, roof system at a Chevy dealership resulted in four line of duty deaths, including the chief of the department. And then in 1967, um, again, the Cliffside Park, uh, New Jersey fire in which five firefighters lost their lives. Um, there's been numerous events over these decades of time. There continue to be lessons and learnings that have come out of those. Um, many of which, again, are sort of forgotten. And it's interesting to note, too, there are many other regional events that are only now becoming rediscovered. And we are actually looking to talk about those in greater detail later into the fall uh, timeframe here uh, on our program. So we will actually have a dedicated special program specific to talking about 
the terminologies, the construction issues, uh, some of the differences dealing with both East Coast and West Coast timber construction, along with other types of construction, not necessarily of heavy timber construction, but there are a variety of different types of bowstringed, characterized um, construction systems made and uh, constructed with assemblies of both uh, steel, various types of ironwork and so forth that also have significant lessons, learnings, and operational considerations on the fire ground. If you're not familiar with one case, and again, I'll just make mention of the March 8, 1998 line of duty death that occurred in uh, LA City, California with the LA City Fire Department, which resulted in the line of duty death of Captain Joseph Dupay. And again, he lost his life uh, while operating at a major uh, fire emergency, a commercial structure fire that was 110 feet in length, 59 feet in width, with a conventional uh, arched truss system, and again, resulted in a structural collapse of that particular building. Uh, when we talk a little bit more about some of the impacts coming out of the uh, wall bombs fire, and again, we do have some postings up on our various websites, our buildingsonfire.com website has uh, much more greater detail that have been posted that you can go back into the archives to talk about and look at those particular elements. In that particular event, again, that roof collapsed 32 minutes from initial arrival of operating companies. Uh, the collapse area uh, entailed at approximately 85 feet inward of the Alpha side, 50 feet inward from the Bravo side, and again, resulted in the instability of one of the vertical truss uh, components and assemblies, which brought down two adjacent trusses, which uh, brought into the seat of the fire, 12 firefighters, six of which were, uh, were extricated and rescued and six uh, that uh, succumbed to their injuries as a result of that, of that collapse. So lots of lessons, lots of learnings that have come out of that particular event that I do encourage you to uh, take a look at not only what we have to post, listen in on our archived podcast from uh, 2018. But again, there's a wealth of information that's currently available in a variety of different uh, avenues and media online. And again, I encourage you to take a look at our information on buildingsonfire.com and then also to uh, uh, keep abreast of some of our upcoming uh, scheduled programs that we will have later this, uh, this year. Uh, specific to bowstring trust construction, as well as a, a potential article or a couple of online uh, media items that uh, will be uh, made available. A couple, couple of quick notes on the housekeeping side as we talk about, uh, again, uh, currently uh, there's been quite a bit of social media uh, commentary and uh, a lot of, uh, of uh, information being posted online uh, regarding the notifications for FDIC 2024. Uh, we're certainly very uh, happy to report that uh, we'll be presenting a workshop at uh, FDIC in April of 2024, uh, specific to reading the buildings on size up, talking about our modeling, as well as maybe a potential opportunity that uh, we have yet to confirm a little bit uh, further uh, as to what we may be doing with that particular workshop and how it may be a very unique opportunity for those of you that are attending FDIC or planning to. I certainly encourage you as we roll forward in the upcoming months, to take a look at the promotional information, the preliminary 
agendas and scheduling and taking a look at the robust uh, offering of both workshops and classroom sessions along with the um, announcements that will be coming forward with the uh, keynote speakers and uh, the concurrent uh, keynotes that will be taking place as part of the opening ceremonies and the daily events for the first couple of days there. A couple of other things to make note of here too. Again, we talked a little bit about this last month in our previous program. Again, we've got a, a number of projects that are currently underway with our good uh, friends here at Fire Engineering. Uh, again, not only inclusive of our podcast and webcast, but again, some things that will be coming forward on social media, on fireengineering.com, as well as through the availability of some things uh, both online and hopefully uh, in the print media. But again, we have some Buildings on Fire videogram series uh, called Buildings on Fire, a view from the street reading buildings that will be short uh, duration but high-impact uh, video clips uh, talking specifically about building construction and, again, just a, a very robust degree of uh, visuals that will accompany our pod and webcast. We're looking to have a little bit more of an in-depth element dealing with uh, Buildings on Fire, 10 Minutes in the Streets, which will be a 10-minute uh, version of a more expanded uh, video series that will get into some details that we will start talking about within a view from the streets. So if you can look at that as snippets of information that will be uh, presented over the course of a number of days or a number of weeks, and then that'll culminate with 10 minutes in the streets, a video series uh, with a little bit more detail on that particular topic. We hope to tie that in with our podcast and webcast series, and then also are leaning heavily towards the opportunities uh, into next year with some webinar-based programming here, if we can uh, make that all work based upon some of the other logistics planning and operational programming aspects that come about from that. We also have a uh, Buildings on Fire series of some informational uh, PDFs that we'll be publishing that, uh, again, we're sort of still determining what the frequency of those uh, informational uh, uh, instructional aids, for better words, are going to be, and uh, again, I'm just going through a couple of notes here. Uh, they'll be revolving around the, the Building Facts series, of First Arriving Construction Tactics and Safety. And again, these will be um, very uh, short formatted, one or two pages in length, PDF format, uh, tied back into some rich uh, media that'll be available online. Just a very rich opportunity to utilize both uh, the hard written copy that'll be published uh, and then the links that will tie you back into audio and other visual um, resources that will enrich the opportunity for uh, gaining insights and lessons and learnings. And again, they will sur uh, surround themselves around the particulars dealing with building construction, first arriving construction, tactics and safety as we've been doing with this program, as we've been doing with our instructional delivery programs and all of our other content throughout uh, our national delivery. So that's some of the uh, detailed information that'll be coming about here in the upcoming uh, couple of months and what we look really forward to doing into uh, the early part of 2024. So a lot of exciting opportunities here. So we want to, again, just make you aware of it we really thank all of you that are listening in and now actually watching our programs here with our simultaneous podcast and webcast formatting here. Uh, it's a great opportunity. Again, we can't thank enough 
of all of the uh, individuals involved, both in the Clarion with the fire rescue divisions and with all of our good friends and certainly Chief Rhodes for uh, the opportunities to continue to be able to present our programs and continue to advocate the importance of the built environment and tie that back into operational issues that are affecting each and every one of us, both at the firefighter rank, all the way up to the commanding officers, whether you're new to the job or are a seasoned veteran. With that being said, we're gonna lead into the first of a multiple part series here. Um, over the next couple of uh, months, we, we hope to continue the conversation into our next episode that'll be uh, published in the month of September. This is our August episode here uh, for this particular one. And again, this is really going to be a conversation related to today's demanding fire ground and those emerging challenges from the evolving built environment uh, and the aspects of, again, the built environment, building sciences and lessons and learnings that are coming about from research and the hard lessons from the fire ground. So our conversation here today is really going to be just talking about uh, the influence of the built environment, the aspects of reading the fire ground, reading the building, reading the compartment, and reading the company. Those are fundamentally the four aspects that we continue to discuss and advocate and tie together with our fire ground models, both our first arriving construction tactics and safety. And for many of you that have been following our program for many years, we're actually going uh, on our 13th anniversary here uh, this year since we first started podcasting. Uh, and actually, it might even be much uh, longer than that. We started podcasting in the early, uh, the latter part of the 2000s independently with a couple of other up. Um, a couple of other groups and associations at that time, and then over the course of those years, uh, transition to our home here on fireengineering.com. So there's a lot of good information that's been out there that we've been able to talk and advocate and continue to hopefully influence the not only the North American Fire Service, but influence any of us that or any of you that are listening in and trying to make sense of a continuing challenging built environment that continues to present either identified or unknown challenges that certainly become very apparent during the conduct of our operations on the fire ground. We've talked about historical aspects of, of size up. We're talking about how to change up size up on today's fire ground, aspects of risk, reading the building, uh, our acronym of BEAR of uh, looking at buildings era, anatomy and related risk, and really tying in building construction and the aspects as this program is going to talk about a little bit more of the insights that are coming out of uh, R&D, research development, many of the various studies that are being published and trying to connect those dots. And connect those dots from a, both an operational, a risk management safety, and from a tactical standpoint. How can you as a company officer, how can you as a commanding officer on that initial alarm or subsequent greater alarms or all hands uh, conditions that may lead to greater alarms, how can you understand and anticipate what it is that you are reading of those various conditions on the fire ground, those four reads that are so integrated and interdependent. We talk about reading the fire ground, reading the building, reading the compartment, which is inclusive of reading the fire, and then reading the companies. And that's something that we started connecting with, again, well over 12 years ago, talking about the connection of human performance, the aspects of the company, and how integral that 
capability or limitations of the company is in the formula, in terms of the management, developing the incident action plans, identifying the levels of risk, and how you may have some great ideas on the fire ground, but uh, they are all going to uh, either succeed or fail based upon the individual units, the individual companies going back to that task level unit of the team that's part of the company, that's part of that particular assignment, that's part of the box alarm, that's part of the overall fire ground. So a lot to be said from that uh, particular standpoint. We talk about some of the critical mass, we talk about today's fire engagement. What we need is effective company officers and commanders. That's really the critical mass and the influence that affects assessment size up, risk safety, tactical windows that we've talked about, operations and the missions. Those are so critical. The relationships back to performance revolve around, again, lessons from the fire ground, respecting the past, having an, an adaptive management perspective, and having an adaptive management viewpoint of the various types of buildings that you are engaging within or uh, upon in terms of that initial arrival. Having con uh, combat conditioned uh, conditioning and having companies that are focused trained, skilled, and literate, both building and fire literate. And then again, being aligned, mission ready, resilient, having grit, and having a variety of different biases that come about from that particular standpoint. Just aligning ourselves to a variety of different aspects that are, that are so, so critical from an operational standpoint. When we take a look at that, and again, I'll say this again, building construction is as fundamental to structural firefighting as water is to fire suppression. You, you can't get any straightforward. Building construction is as fundamental to structural firefighting as water is to fire suppression. And that is the key element. And as we talk further into our conversation here on this episode, we'll talk a bit more about some of how that comes together. I'll say this, if you're going to command or tactically engage at a structural fire, you better understand the building and there's limited margin for error on today's evolving fire ground and errors and emissions are very unforgiving. So again, it, it looks upon the aspects of having pre-incident intel, having some appreciation for what that building can or cannot do under the duress and um, impact of fire conditions and understanding the building's resiliency, its resistance, the integrity, and the time factors that come about from that. And I'll say this, that stretching and operating in a building that you have no knowledge of or insights or considerations for is derelict at best, placing you and your company at risk. So again, there's some, some key elements there when we put those things together and in motion and uh, again, try to make sense out of our built environment. Now, recognizing this, that many of you may have a very simple first due area, and others, the first two area may be very, very complex and may uh, involve a whole variety of different building types, both in terms of the footprints, the vertical profiling of those buildings, the horizontal or longitudinal uh, footprint. The footprints may be very large in square footages or may be very, very compact. They may be residential in occupancy or high rise in both occupancy use or occupancy risk. And again, we cannot treat all operations in a similar manner. And again, conventional tactics in today's realm, especially in light of what we are 
gaining insights from. We'll talk about insights from R&D, from the various types of studies, and as well as the envelope being pushed by many of our colleagues, both uh, in North America and internationally, that are identifying opportunities to improve the models and the practices that we have honed all so well, but also giving us time to pause and reflect and re-examine whether we are doing the right thing or if that operation in future responses, our strategy, our tactics, our deployments um, may suggest or do require a uh, tweaking or a substantial uh, overhaul. Again, it's not always to one extreme or the other, and I think it's safe to say that all of us at times can identify areas for improvement, whether they be incremental or they are of a magnitude in terms of significant jumps forward to re-examine what we are doing. And again, conventional tactics very well may uh, challenge us, and not all rules of engagements will work in the various types of conditions and operations that, that we have. One of the things that uh, we talk about, again, we talk about fire calls, service calls, our runs, incidences, the jobs that, that we involve ourselves with, whether they be small, large, simple, complex, demanding, overwhelming. Again, this is not the fire ground, nor is it the fire service of the 1980s, the 90s, or certainly the early 2000s. We are seeing and have witnessed those challenges. When we read case studies, we take a look at line of duty death reports, after action reports, near misses, the things that don't make national headlines, but the things that each and every one of you are very familiar with relative to the runs, the workers, and the kinds of activities, the kind of work that you're seeing in your streets, in your community, uh, in your neighborhoods, your first due. Uh, again, whether you are East Coast, West Coast, North to South, large or small, rural to, uh, to urban, to metro, uh, whether you're a volunteer combination or career. Again, there's a lot of things that are out there. And when we take a look at that, they all present operational challenges, risks, and demands. And again, how do I identify? How do I assess? How do I manage my ops and I manage my risk? Again, or do they? Do they manage and do they control you and your companies? And that is a significant question to ask around the, around the kitchen table. It's safe to say that all have variable uh, levels of risk, margins of safety inherent, induced, introduced, apparent, perceived, real, overstated, uh, respected, not recognized, neglected, dismissed and sometimes rationalized, rationalized, right? We do a lot, both good and bad, when we take a look at our buildings, our built environment, and the kinds of work and the types of activities that we encounter. And I would, it would be safe to say that sometimes, again, they are not recognized, they are neglected, they are dismissed, and unfortunately, they are also rationalized. And with that being said, it's also very safe to say that we still stretch the line we go in, we do what's necessary, sometimes with, without any type of pre-incident planning, without any special knowledge of that building. We understand that it's a certain occupancy on arrival. We have fire within some type of compartment or voided area of that building. We recognize some of the construction that we have experienced in the past. We identify a particular occupancy type. We identify maybe a particular level of risk that that particular building may have, and we go to work and we take care of business. We address the, the demands associated with that operation. 
whatever those demands and operational risks are within the time frame allotted to us. And many times we are very, very successful. And with that being said, there are also many times that we have our close calls, we have our near misses. And again, the question to all of you, are we recognizing opportunities for improvement? Are we recognizing inherent issues within that building that may have challenged our operations and may have gotten us to the point, uh, close point of no return? And again, are we dismissing? Are we neglecting? Are we rationalizing? And again, uh, your risk may not be the same as your commanding officers. Your commanding officers, your company officers' level of risk perception may not be the same as yours at the at the team and uh, task level. So there's a lot of different aspects there that are balls that are sort of up in the air in how they are juggled, how they're managed, how they are addressed in the timeliness, either concurrent um, or sequential. Um, those are the demands of today's firegrounds when we talk about them. And again, your risk may not be the same as my risk from a risk perception standpoint. And again, there may be issues dealing with both bravery and bravado. And some of those may um, become identified on the fireground, sometimes readily identified, sometimes well after the fact, uh, when we have had time to reflect back in quarters over a cup of coffee, start talking about the event and start recognizing that when we start putting things together, or especially when an after action report is done, whether it be a quick uh, wash in the streets, we're talking about what we did at the company level, or a couple of companies get together and talk about the event, do a walk through the building, or something a little bit more formal back in quarters, either again at the, at the station or at the district battalion level, or something a little bit more formal based upon a review of that a particular incident to help support the capturing of the uh, correct information for the report or for something that may lead to, again, lessons learning, after action plan, and so forth. And I always pose this question again, are you and your company, um, are you risk prone um, or risk adverse? And again, it goes back to bravery and bravado when we take a look at some of those uh, particular aspects to it. And again, when we talk about our incidences, whether they're occurring across town, uh, across the neighborhood, across the township, or in some other locale across the country, uh, it's safe to say that all have lessons, all have learnings, all have insights, precedences, precedences, historical context, ba uh, basis, and so forth that influence our conditioned tactical reflex. Our conditioned tactical reflex, or CTR, um, and again, this is not the first I've talked about that. We are very much conditioned with a particular type of reflex on how to handle, how to address various types of fire conditions upon our arrival. Uh, some things that, again, are identifiable, others that are predicted based upon what we know of that building historically or what we try to connect the dots on to paint the picture of reading the building, trying to uh, paint the picture of reading the uh, uh, fire floor, reading the compartment, trying to identify and reading smoke, reading fire, putting those things all together. We talk about reading the fire ground, reading the building, reading the fire, and then going into an operational mode. And again, sometimes, <clears throat> again, our conditioned tactical reflex may be correct, may be faulted, and uh, sometimes, uh, again, it may be inaccurate. 
Uh, and that only comes about through the uh, aftermath and the successes, challenges, demands, and or failures of the outcome of that particular event or incident <clears throat> and those lessons and learnings. <clears throat> One of the questions we should be asking ourselves, again, um, how are you? How are you conditioned and programmed to your built environment? How do you address new construction that may be introduced into your first due area or within your response area or your jurisdiction? But more importantly, all of us have a first due. Now, I'll, I'll stick with that particular uh, example here. Um, that first due, large or small, simple to complex, series of buildings on Main Street, or a very uh, densely compacted uh, uh, variation of a response area that might be heavy in industrial, heavy in commercial, light on residential, where you may have such a mixture of occupancy types, occupancy risk, building construction types, era and vintage in terms of when these buildings are built, all with a variety of materials, methods of construction, certainly different types of fire dynamics that might affect the building, but again, how are we conditioned? How are we programmed to address those structures on a given alarm and situation? And that's when we start talking about, and that's the whole premise of our discussion here on this episode, is that the built environment continues to present significant challenges, especially with the introduction of newer construction or with something as simple as the alterations, the renovations, in the changes in occupancy usages from one type of occupancy to another. <clears throat> from one type of occupancy to another, and now how that may affect our um, management of the fire ground and also may affect how that building's integrity will be impacted under fire duress regarding the resiliency, integrity, and time of the fire ground. So again, a couple of things here that we want to want to put put out in the forefront. Um, it's safe to say, too, when we talk about some fire ground influences, we talk about our buildings on fire and the fire ground and today's demanding fire ground, those fire ground influences revolve around uh, what we could call old school principles conflicting with new science. And again, uh, that's word on the street and word on the firehouse. One of, one of the things that we do, we have a program that talks about uh, taking it to the streets, talks about and really revolves around fire ground leadership from the, uh, from the firehouse to the fire ground. And again, how much of what we do in the, fire, in the firehouse does end up reflecting what we do on the fire ground. But uh, again, when we talk about old school principles, anecdotal, empirical, uh, things that are passed down, things that we hear about, sometimes that influence and really guide everything that we do around the fire station. Again, back in the day, when we talk about back in the day, there's certainly, again, in a blink of an eye, a heartbeat, uh, a minute, years, or decades of time that have elapsed. But back in the day, whatever it may be, for some of you back in the day, maybe a couple of months ago when you joined uh, or got uh, uh, appointed uh, and assigned to a particular station coming out of recruit school, the academy. But again, back in the day, maybe years, it may be certainly decades of time. Uh, and especially when we start going back further and trying to uh, make connotations about what and how we operated within a different built environment, 
of which many of these buildings continue to be present here today, but have undergone change just in terms of age affecting our buildings, let alone the aspects of alterations, renovations, the impact of age deterioration, the impact of environmental uh, aspects to our buildings. All buildings undergo some type of subtle or significant change over the days and weeks and months and years and decades as well as the centuries of time when we talk about those particular aspects. And much about when we talk about operational issues, it goes back to, uh, again, the point of relevancy. Uh, the point of, excuse me, I should say the, the point of view and the relevancy of that point of view. For those that may have operated only within the last 10 or 15 years, that point of reference and point of view is very, very narrow. We only know what we know based upon what we've been exposed to, operational aspects and, and so forth, but there are a lot of different aspects that come into play. The one thing that um, I'll state, and again, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going a little bit off on a tangent here, but it's, it's worth a conversation that will lead me into my next uh, couple of uh, bullet points here. But back in the day, the one thing that has always and will always remain a constant, and that is honor, integrity for the job, respect, responsibility, accountability, professionalism, and quality. And those were certainly the most profound focused elements of the job back in the day, however far back you wanna go, but also continue to be instilled upon everything that we do today. We talk about honor and integrity and respect and responsibility, accountability, professionalism, and quality. Those are all, again, and, and they reflect in what we do and how we do that on, on the fire ground and how we relate back to. So in reality, there, there is a, there is a tie-in to our buildings. And I'll say this when we talk about them, uh, we talk about structural firefighting, um, especially with yesterday's fire ground. Yesterday's fire ground, again, in whatever time frame you want to plug that into. And I, I'll say this, much of this is prior to the 2000s. So much of what we are going to make reference to here in a, in a moment um, revolves around our buildings, our fire ground, our built environment prior to the 2000 era. We've seen a lot of changes that are dramatically affecting and influencing today's fire ground. We talk about the early 2000s all the way till, till now, the, the last 20 to 23 years. But yesterday's fire ground, uh, again, we talk about common identifiable building construction and methods of construction. Buildings behaved. The rules of firefighting were pretty simple. Uh, simple operations, tactics, they were very direct, direct engagement, uh, very prescriptive types of construction-based tactics. So our tactics and our operations were very prescriptive based upon the manner in which our buildings were being constructed, the methods and the materials, the manner in which they behaved, which followed a rule of engagement and a rule of firefighting. It was pretty simple and very straightforward. But again, I think the one most clear defining aspect is the uh, prescriptive type of both construction and prescriptive construction-based tactics because our buildings were very consistent until we started seeing the introduction of what we term to be lightweight construction 
in the early 1980s, the introduction in the late 1970s, but they really became much more conventional as we approach the decade of the 1980s. Uh, fire dynamics matched fire suppression process, models, methods, and practices. Again, they were very consistent, but we also started seeing in the 1980s as a result of the introduction of some different types of methods of construction and materials of construction. We also saw some of our tactics, our operations, and the introduction of various types of, um, of innovations from an operational standpoint, from an equipment tool standpoint, personal protective equipment and so forth. We also saw our process, our models, our methods, and our practices starting to change. And I think that the two or three most significant elements there uh, occurred as a result of the introduction of the inch and three quarter hand line, the uh, a change in uh, practices and methods dealing with the application of water utilizing the inch and three quarter hand line, the tactical mobility and the effectiveness that that gave us while we were encountering challenging fire dynamics in the early days of evolving fire loads. Uh, we saw the BTU per square foot starting to change within our compartments. Uh, and again, that's led all the way to the current conversation, which start talking about megawatts of energy per square foot. We talk about fire load packages, rate of heat release, and some other things that have completely changed the aspect of reading the compartment, reading the fire, reading smoke, and so forth. But uh, the introduction of other innovations with PPE, that again allowed us to penetrate into the buildings and into the compartment further and again i think the uh, conventionality the institutionalization of breathing apparatus so breathing apparatus ppe um, along with tactical mobility and the increasing uh, opportunities to do more within uh, the building envelope while pushing that envelope again led to some some different process models methodologies, practices. And I'll say this is that uh, time was not as critical of an issue back then as it is today. And more importantly, I'll say this is that the building allowed us, buildings allowed us to do our job. Building allowed, allowed us to do our job in a way that has dramatically uh, changed in today, today's context when we take a look at today's built environment. Um, yesterday's fire ground, we talk about uh, firefighting. Again, personnel knew and did their jobs. Proficiency, discipline, rigor, mission above all, clear expectations, simple technology, manual, physical, brute force, and determination. And it's, it's pretty straightforward. Not to say that we don't are not doing that today, but when we put that into the context of what we just talked about, and we talk about the fact that, again, uh, um, we had time. We had people, we could mess up and still be alive. We could not know our job and still be part of the team and we could get away with it. Again, it was acceptable. Uh, we were slow to change, change was discussed, it was debated, it was vetted, it was accepted and then implemented and we embraced tradition while we were making it. That was yesterday's fireground. And again, we embraced tradition while we were making it. And again, there's just a lot of moving parts here. I wanted to put that out just in terms of our discussion. And we talk a lot about today, about again, uh, we talk about old school back in the day. We talk about the job. We talk about aggressive firefighting, today's firefighter, today's fire officers, firemanship, the blue collar, the trade. But again, you know, 
there's a lot of rhetoric. There's a lot of good stuff that are being said by all of this. So I'm not saying anything is bad or anything is overly good. I'm just talking about the aspects of how we are rebooting old school principles, and they do lead to principles and practices and methodologies. It goes back to the aspect when we talk about uh, not having enough time on today's fire ground, not having enough people, messing up and not being able to survive those particular errors and omissions, um, embracing change, understanding how that change, especially as it's becoming uh, published, as it's becoming discussed, we have such a availability of so much information that it's incumbent upon each and every one of us in any levels to be able to comprehend what it is that we're reading, identify opportunities for improvements, and how that information may be relevant, may be applicable, or may not be applicable to our organization, our organizational type, our organizational structure, and the fire demands and the risks associated with the built environment that's out in the streets, on the other side of that apron, down the road from the firehouses that you are manning and that you respond out of and into the streets of your community. So when we talk about these aspects, they are part of all of this because they all relate back to, again, fireground operations. We talk about incident command, talking about, again, uh, the aspects of our district chiefs or battalion chiefs, the company officers. They all reflect back around decision-making about tactics, training, safety, and risk management. Uh, and then they all revolve around a variety of other aspects. But again, um, we're seeing quite a bit of focus back on the craft back on blue-collar firemanship aspects. And although we talked about the fact that in the context of our session here, talking about the influence of our built environment, also just laying out the groundwork for the influence of science, R&D, um, there are some that embrace that uh, with some degree of skepticism or with others with completely open arms with out challenging what may be presented. And there are still others that uh, think upon that as being uh, witchcraft <laughs> or it's inquisition. You know, the world is flat and just don't believe anything that's coming out of it. It is a combination of all of those, just having some degree of pessimism and questioning attitude to understand fully what it is that might be presented. And more importantly, how does it apply to your first due? How does it apply to your department? Uh, and again, how does it apply to the kinds of buildings and the types of conditions that one may be encountering that's out there in the street? So, you know, um, it just goes back to the, the aspects of risks and challenges. Back in the day when we were riding backstop all the way to today, where we're getting up into our clean cabs, going out into the street and dealing with today's challenges upon that, the box alarm in that first due. And I'll say this again, when we talk about a couple of different aspects of that, um, it's pretty straightforward. Again, anything less than outstanding is unacceptable. And those were the words of the late uh, Captain Terry Hatton, who, uh, who was Rescue Company One, um, who was the captain of FDNY Rescue Company One and uh, lost his life on 9-11. Uh, in 2001. Those are the aspects of operational excellence.
some other aspects here when we talk about sort of uh, putting some moving parts here together from the built environment. Uh, and they all go back to the aspects of performance of the, of the company. Again, do your job, treat people right, uh, give all out effort and uh, have an all in attitude. And those are the words of Captain Mark Van Appen from uh, California, also known as fully involved in an exceptional uh, website and certainly an exceptional uh, series of advocacies that uh, the captain provides in his fully involved uh, series. Um, that also relates back to, uh, again, some things that we talk about, the the, uh, the four Ds that a good friend of both uh, fireengineering.com here with uh, Fire and Training Talk, uh, who has a podcast and webinar series and a good colleague of mine, that's Assistant Chief Doug Klein out of Horry County, South Carolina, which is in the Myrtle Beach uh, metropolitan area. He talks about, uh, again, uh, desire, discipline, determination, and dedication. These are all part of those pieces here when we talk about putting them together. And all we're trying to relate this back to, again, is mission-focused, uh, accountable, competent, whether it be back in the day uh, or today. Again, having understanding the mission, being focused, being accountable, and being competent. And it all revolves back around understanding that building, understanding the company, and understanding our operations. There are crit three critical factors that, again, we continue to reinforce and advocate with our, our modeling process. That is understanding the uh, interrelationship of the building, the relationship of the compartment, and the relationship of the company, building, compartment, and company. And again, when we talk about company, it goes back to another great uh, um, quote here coming from uh, uh, the late Lieutenant, uh, or excuse me, the late Captain John Vigiano, who uh, went on to say, some are associated with a great company and others make a company great. And uh, again, affectionately, uh, Captain uh, John Vigiano, um, Passed away a few years ago, but again, he was certainly very, very well known. He became captain of a ladder company 132, uh, retired off the job, but he was uh, really known as being an exceptional fire officer on Rescue Company 2 in Brooklyn and really uh, set the stage for much of what we talk about lessons and learnings and insights that, that continue to come about. A lot of insight that, that comes about through, uh, through NIST, through UL variety of different programs, um, ATF information that comes about through the uh, line of duty death reports from the uh, from NIOSH and the firefighter line of duty death program. Great uh, insights coming out of a variety of different organizations, whether it be UL, uh, ISFSI, the International Society of Fire Service Instructors, or the types of information that are coming out of numerous organizations throughout the United States. Those that were the leaders in the early days, uh, again, we go back to the late uh, 2000s, uh, 2008, 9, and 10, we start seeing some movement uh, going forward here in the mid-2000s based upon the continuing aspects of research and information that's coming out there. But again, one of the questions that we can ask ourselves, uh, again, are we in a tactical renaissance um, or is it a tactical uh, uh, inquisition? Certainly, these are dynamic and engaging times. Uh, and again, what is it that we are doing? Are, are you looking, um, I should say this, are, are you being proactive, engaged and being a contributor, um, or are you an obstinate observer watching passively from the sidelines? 
And this goes back to the aspects of both firefighting, the instructional delivery, the research information that's coming about, the engineering insights, and how that relates back to our operations. And again, it is a collaborative and shared vision. Um, and at times, uh, again, we are just uh, battling ourselves. Again, there's a there's a great um, um, there, there's a great uh, uh, illustration that Paul Combs put out a number of years ago. I just thought about this, talking about the uh, battling of both uh, science and experience. And uh, if I recall correctly, uh, the dragon, again, is tapping uh, both guys who are, are fighting each other. Again, uh, talking about, uh, you know, interrupting this uh, civil discussion about tactics and operation and experiencing experience, continuing to challenge and sort of have fisticuffs, both literally and figuratively in the streets, talking about the battle between experience, the anecdotal aspects of what we've always done, and how science certainly is challenging those paradigms, challenging those paradigms with insights and data points that are being derived out of the R&D that are, that are being discussed and being published and trying to put those all together. So a lot of different pieces, a lot of different moving parts, um, when we talk about some of those things that go on, especially out of the lessons and learnings, go back to uh, NIOSH. And again, for many of you, if you recall, the NIOSH top five are inclusive of, and this is, again, going all the way back to uh, 1998, all the way to around 2020, those, um, the NIOSH top five continue to be pretty consistent when we talk about some of those uh, uh, contributors. Uh, and those include, again, improper risk, lack of accountability, uh, inadequate communications, lack of incident command or management, and then the lack of uh, standard operating procedures or the failure to follow SOPs and, and protocols. And again, these are some of those continuing aspects. We've talked about this in some of our other uh, uh, podcast programs. Again, there's a correlation to the uh, NFFF, talk about the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation and the U.S. Fire Administration. There are six contributing domains that come out of that, which are inclusive of and tie back into the NIOSH top five. And those include uh, extraordinary events, ineffective decisions, ineffective policies and procedures, ineffective leadership, lack of personal responsibility, and lack of preparation. And then that ties into the root cause analysis that was done by the University of Georgia and that root cause analysis took a look at, again, all of those leading insights coming out of the NIOSH line of duty death reports and recommendations. And they identified four common related areas in that root cause. And those included, again, under-resourcing, inadequate preparation for or anticipation of adverse events uh, during operations, incomplete adoption of the incident command uh, procedure and or policies, and suboptimal personal readiness. And that word primarily associates it back to human performance-related challenges or failures at the company level or at the personnel level, whether it be the individual as part of a team, the individual part of a company, the company or commanders or company officers. It's, again, suboptimal personnel, singular or plural, readiness. But probably the most significant when we talk about the built environment and our need to focus in on this built environment is the uh, is uh, the aspects of inadequate preparation for or anticipation of adverse events during operations. The inability to clearly recognize 
indicators that are either suggesting or highly promoting that a singular or chain of events is about to occur and we are not reading those indicators. We are not literate. Uh, we are not putting those things together. We are great when those things do occur. In other words, when an adverse event does occur, we react to those typically in a prompt manner. We uh, put in our resources and we go to work. Um, but if we don't have those resources, if we aren't in a proactive standpoint, unfortunately, we are reactionary. But that is where we've got to get better in reading our fire ground, reading our building, reading the compartment, reading our companies, more effectiveness in our size up and a greater degree of literacy and understanding of the built environment of our buildings and a greater degree of understanding of the aspects of fire dynamics as they relate back to the building. Understanding and being both fire and building literate. That is really the theme of our initial conversation here on our episode. So we put all those together. And again, there's some correlations here, the crosswalks that come together here. But I think that the most um, telling of this, when we talk about understanding and putting these things together, really the, the real lessons and learnings on today's fire ground with our built environment revolve around this inadequate preparation for or the anticipation of adverse events during operations, both at the command company or task levels that revolve around the building, the compartment and the company and have a direct correlation and relationship of and to reading the fire ground, reading the building, reading the compartment and reading the company. So that is where we wanted to sort of lead ourselves to in this particular conversation and put that all together. And, um, it goes without saying that these challenges and demands we talk about today's modern fireground, um, it is so much more than stretching the line and going in. So, so much more than than just that. Uh, I think that for those of you too, and, I'm, and again, well, I don't want to get too much ahead of myself, but one of the things that we will be talking about here in one of the upcoming episodes is this correlation of what we've put together. We continue to stress that there is a relationship of the built environment, of understanding our building on fire that we are arriving at. And the facts that are presented by that revolve around that first arriving window that address and relate back to construction, tactics, and safety. And that acronym of building facts is so, so important to, number one, embrace, but also to internalize and have an understanding on how that comes together on the fire ground because it does relate to, again, both building construction, structural considerations. It relates back to fire dynamics and the predictability of performance that is the basis of our built environment, whether it be new or old, and also give us both our strategic and tactical considerations. And we will be talking more about the uh, NFPA guideline, uh, the NFPA 1700 guideline that, again, was uh, published um, that gives us some insights and gives us some correlations to that particular standpoint. Um, one of the challenges, again, we talk about the modern fire ground related to building is, again, predicting adverse fire behavior and the potential for structural collapse or compromise, uh, again, again, is one of the most challenging tasks facing first due companies and the commanders at a fire ground. Usually the lack of information on the construction of the building the fire size, the fire location, 
uh, fire burn time, the conditions of the building, the fuel load, uh, all of these make the task sometimes nearly impossible. However, key building insight considerations and fire ground indicators when presented, when recognized, and when identified for their relevance and importance to the operational safety dramatically influence fire ground operations. So we've got to be able to pull these together. We've got to be able to have a correlation and an understanding of those particular aspects and move forward from, from, that, uh, from that standpoint. Um, historically, again, when we take a look at performance-driven operations, the built environment continues to be developing faster with greater complexity and greater hazards and risks to firefighters and firefighting than the tactical models are providing for in our current standpoint. And much of what we do today in terms of our built environment are tactically driven operations that are building construction-based tactics, oxygen-type driven tactics, sometimes fire-driven tactics, tactical-driven operations, procedural-driven operations, dynamic fireground factors that may not be recognized that sometimes places our companies, places our operations, and places command in a, in a autopilot mode. And it goes back to the aspects of not, not only not comprehending, but not having the foundation of building construction knowledge and having that uh, fire and building literacy. literacy. Um, the fire service typically finds the topical area overwhelming, um, overtly simplified and filtered to, uh, to such a standpoint. And again, that simplification sometimes, and, I, and I've seen some, some, some very good fire officers and firefighters and instructors that are out there that uh, try to simplify it so much um, that it gets so filtered and so diluted that it's meaningless, that, that what they are trying to convey, to simplify it, to try to tie back into uh, some other aspects that are part of a conversation, I'll say, um, uh, really do us a, an injustice. I mean, and I say that, do the fire service an, uh, an injustice. Um, many times they are disregarded, they are ignored and diluted. Again, we take a look at uh, anywhere from two to 12 hour sound bites of information. Again, it's just 24 pages, 12 to 14 chapters out of 400 pages. And unfortunately, we are at the grammar school level of knowledge when we should be discussing and having an appreciation and understanding of building instruction and being able to apply it accurately, technically, uh, within the adaptiveness of our first do, meaning, again, not all one size fits all, but putting some things together that do go back to the traditions of what we've always done in the past because they work in certain building types, certain compartments, certain types of fire loading con conditions, again, coupled with what we have on the fire ground in terms of resources, the timeliness and the capabilities, putting that all together. So uh, there's a lot to be said about that that do affect our operational modeling and hopefully give us an adaptiveness while utilizing critical thinking, conservative bias, being self-regulating, being disciplined, and at the same time being resilient to those types of challenges and aspects that are out there. And uh, it goes without saying, sometimes do we need to be hit in, uh, in the head by a brick or a brick wall to get that picture? And sometimes the answer is yes. So a couple of things here as we start rounding out our program again. Uh, 
We talk about the fire ground, the built environment is so, so critically important, understanding the fires, understanding the fire service and where it's going, because again, we don't necessarily have to be reinventing the wheel, the wheel uh, for that standpoint, identifying best practices, lessons and learnings, and either taking those best practices uh, directly verbatim or modifying the best practice to take the nuggets out of those best practices that are applicable to your department, to your first due, to the risks and hazards associated with your community uh, or your response area. Understanding the levels of resources and how they are variables. All of these things are variables, but resources, the practices and our capabilities, but also recognize when we talk about influences and those variables, there are some things that are not going to be not that are going to be non-negotiable. There are some things on today's fire ground. We talk about risks and safety that are non-negotiable as part of the mission. Have to utilize critical thinking. Have to utilize resiliency, integrity, understanding the time. We we spent quite a bit of time a couple of months ago on a previous episode talking about tactical windows. They are so so important when we start tying those into various building types, occupancy types, era, and vintage. They do affect our decision making. They influence our strategy. Influence our tactics, they influence operations, and most certainly they influence the outcomes. They are variables, but unwaveringly, they do affect the outcomes. And again, when we take a look at three distinctive aspects here, when we talk about the built environment, it relates back to building integrity, and that has an association directly related to the building's compromise and or collapse potential. Uh, over what we call delta time. So we talk about building integrity. It relates back to the characteristics inherent or added into the building based on renovations, additions, hybrid structures. What are the characteristics in terms of predictability performance of the building's potential for collapse, or excuse me, from, from compromise to collapse um, over delta time, over what period of time? The second part of that, of, uh, of the top three, relate back to fire severity. And again, what is the fire severity when we talk about the compartment, the area of origin? How will that affect uh, the fire communication into the voids of the building? How it will affect the building as an entirety, whether it be from compartment uh, to void, to fire floor, to building? We talk about expansion, expansion of that, and that relates back to megawatts of energy over delta time. And then the third part of this is the company level performance. The effectiveness of how we engage in that building and how and what the building may do is a direct correlation back to the company performance, the effectiveness of getting lines deployed, water flowing in the least amount of time. So that goes back to human performance over the delta time. And the variables when we talk about that first do that affect construction safety include Again, uh, company integrity, accountability, expectations, performance, the fortitude and rigor. And those are all also influenced by the built environment, construction, incident severity, the urgency of the growth, fire dynamics, staffing, resources, our capabilities at the company level, and the elapse of time. So just a couple of things that I wanted to put out there to uh, start giving us some, some food for thought. One of the things when we talk about, and I've mentioned this uh, a moment ago, about the uh, NFPA 1700 guide, it was published in 2021, just coming out of uh, the COVID timeframe or shortly thereafter, but again, uh, or right in the middle of COVID, uh, depending upon your viewpoint. But again, it is the guide for structural firefighting. 
uh, structural firefighting strategy tactics and ta uh, tasks supported by science-based research. So uh, again, a little bit of new school uh, viewpoints. If you're not familiar with the NFPA 1700, um, as that guide has been published out there, go online. You can actually read uh, that uh, guide. You can't download it, but you can certainly read that if you do register on the NFPA's website. Uh, but also a couple of other things that you may not be familiar with that I'll, I'll just put out there for you to do a little bit of research. So NFPA 1700, the two, uh, 2021 edition, but also take a look at NFPA 1710, the 2020 edition, especially when it talks about gallon per minute flow rates. Many of you are familiar with the uh, 150 gallon per minute flow rate of a single line in which two lines have to be flowing for a total of 300 GPMs. Again, this re uh, relates back to compartment fire dynamics, but also with the new standard, how that has uh, increased up to 500 gallons per minute is also inclusive of between 13,000 and 19,600 square feet. And now the need for three deployable lines with a total gallon per minute flow rate of 500 GPM. So our next episode, we're gonna talk a little bit more about some of the insights coming out of UL, the Research Institute, uh, some, some aspects of what and what and how that data and information is affecting the modern fireground um, and what it's done to us. Again, primarily when we talk about the aspects of construction, different changes in construction methodologies, building construction materials, home furnishings, fire growth, how that's all affecting our capabilities when we talk about uh, the coordination of a fast attack, having um, such an essential need for an effective water application, getting fast water into the seat of that fire goes back to the compartment, timely ventilation and coordination of those, whether they be sequential, uh, coordinated, or um, um, uh, or concurrent, again, uh, when we talk about the operations, and again, when we talk about compartment isolation, occupant survivability, I mean, there's just a lot of moving parts here, guys. But again, stop and think. UL has been pr uh, producing and publishing the first report that came out was 2005, Modern Fire Legacy and Home Furnishings was the first report. Now we're talking about things with ventilation, fire behavior, uh, positive ventilation, vertical ventilation, fire tactics, residential uh, attic fire, exterior fire spread, basement fires, fire attack, interior, exterior host streams, and occupant survivability, coordinated fire attack utilizing acquired structures, the wind-driven fire studies from NIST, structural collapse, staffing and operational thermal conditions of floor, compartments, collapse uh, predication studies, and more and more. So there is so much that is coming about, and all of these, again, are affecting first arriving construction tactics and safety. It's giving us insights on building sciences, fire protection, related research, science, data, and insights. We now are starting to talk about tactical considerations, talk about vent path, flow paths, basement fires, talking about compartment fires, attic fires, pushing the fire, not pushing the fire, BTU, uh, BTUs versus megawatts of energy, the fire load packages, fire suppression techniques, water mapping, transitional attacks, survivability profiling of the civilians, survivability profiling of the fire service, extreme fire behavior, go and no-go profiling, slicers, dicers, and nicers, and everything in between. So in the short time frame, we've talked about a variety of different data points that are out there and trying to tie this all together related back to our built environment, of which the criticality here as we continue our conversations in our next 
upcoming episodes talking about first arriving, construction, tactics, and safety, talking about the building, the compartment, and the company, and talking about how critical those aspects are, those top three of building, compartment, fire, and company, and the other relationship of when we take a look at predictability performance and relating that back to resilience, integrity, and time, severity, urgency, and growth, and the time factors and the tactical windows that we have. And more importantly, tying that back into the types of buildings that are coming out there, the the old school residentials, along with our newer types of both hybrid commercial, our hybrid uh, uh, residential types of construction, and everything in between. It just all goes back to that aspect and more importantly, goes back to the S factor, which deals with, again, our sustainable fire suppression flow rates and putting that together to understand the predictability, the performance of that building under fire duress, fire extension, and understanding mission and having the fortitude and having the knowledge set to go in to do what's necessary and hopefully being able to have a positive outcome to that building. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Buildings on Fire. We started talking about some data points, taking a look at both building risks, understanding actually there's three different risks. I didn't, I really didn't make mention of this. We talk about both building risks, occupancy risks, and at-risk behaviors that, again, revolve back to the company standpoint and how to, again, orchestrate, manage, and take a look at those aspects. So we've talked about a couple of different pieces here on our episode. And again, we're just laying a firm foundation for our next episode where we're going to talk a bit more in detail on a couple of different aspects dealing with that built environment in our continuing uh, conversation here about the influence of both building construction on today's fire ground and how that relates back to what we do each and every day with our buildings on fires and again being able to take it into the streets on your first due in your community on your streets uh, uh, and again around the country and around the world so again till next time companies are in quarters and are off the air stay safe but keep in mind there's a job being worked somewhere in the streets in your city across the country and around the world doing what we do best and being who we are and that's firefighters so thank you very much for listening in on this edition of buildings on fires taking to the streets take a look at some of the things that will be coming about uh, maybe in between this and our next episode that will be coming about uh, later in the month of september go back to our archived information do follow us on social media here on fireengineering.com again uh, and again as well as our postings both on our Facebook, our Twitter pages, and then much of what is shared through uh, social media here through our good friends at fireengineering.com. So until next time, again, uh, companies are in quarters. Stay safe, everyone. And uh, again, just keep an eye out for what you're doing. Don't lose track of mission. Monitor and understand the predictability of the building and understand your tactical windows of operation. So stay safe. This is Chris Nam signing off. Take care, everybody.